0: Everybody, welcome back to Transformational Trauma and Healing. I am so glad you're here today. Our guest today is very special. Her name is Barbara Lane. Barbara integrates her life experiences of being a foster child, sister, wife, mother, grandmother, entrepreneur, speaker, child advocate, educator, ministerial counselor, and author into her writing. In addition to her 25-year service in private practice as a ministerial counselor, Barbara's educational background in human development, social sciences, and family psychology with a focus on child abuse inspires her to share her expertise on interrelated issues. The family, family separation, the foster care system, attachment and bonding, child maltreatment, relationship formation, and the resilience of the human spirit, healing from trauma, and the power found in having faith in something greater than the self. By sharing her own personal journey, Barbara destigmatizes the fate of child abuse survivors, leading her to write Broken Water, how faith, hope, and love reunited 11 abandoned and abused sisters. When not writing, you will find Barbara enjoying nature, reading, swimming, playing sports, people watching, and especially spending time with her grandchildren. She lives in Virginia with her husband, Jim, who remains her childhood sweetheart. Broken Water, an extraordinary true story, is available on Amazon and anywhere fine books are sold. All right. Hi, Barbara. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today.
1: Thank you for having me. I've been excited and looking forward to this.
0: Excellent. So I know from your bio that your book, Broken Water, How Faith, Hope, and Love Reunited 11 Abandoned and Abused Sisters is actually your true life story.
1: It is a true life story of all 11 of us. Yes.
0: Wow. So tell us about Broken
1: Water. Mm. Broken Water was a journey for sure. Um, When I was three, our family fell apart and several of us sisters were placed in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't feel any trauma from that because I was with my sisters who just loved me <laughs> the trauma was when we were all separated and placed into different foster homes one sister and i were placed in a foster home which caused us to lose contact with the rest of the sisters that was the trauma okay um, that separation from the siblings we reunited 43 years later and wow. Yeah, it was such a joyous time, I can't even tell you. And it was like we had never been apart, which people say, how can that be? I don't know. We had such a bond. I have a quote from a social worker I found in our files years later that said she had never known a group of sisters to be so bonded and to care for each other so deeply, and it broke her heart to separate us. So when we all got together, we just became like little kids again. I mean, did the silliest, funniest things and enjoyed each other so much. Um And um I don't know, after we had been reunited maybe eight years or so, the question came up as to writing our stories, and somehow I landed with the job. <laughs> and and it took me fifteen years to gather them all. Yeah, oh, because sure. it's delicate, and uh, I wasn't going to force any sister to tell any story they didn't want to share. Yeah, and we had this pack. If one sister said no, I don't want to do it, we would drop it there. And you know, I'm so proud of my sisters because all 11 of us stood up and told our stories over a course of time. And so that's the genesis of broken water and what it contains is all of our stories growing up at foster care adoptions and um, you know, the traumas that we all experienced and how we healed.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is just remarkable. Mm -hmm. So what? So I guess tell us what you're, where you are in the rank of 11, if you will.
1: Sure. I'm one of the babies, they say. I'm ninth of 11.
0: Okay. And you were three when you were placed yes. in foster care. and yes. And did you remain with that one sister the whole time?
1: I did we grew up in the uh, foster place, we were placed in a couple of foster homes, and then we eventually landed this I'm not making it up. you can't make this stuff up in a home of a mafia grunt <laughs> and wow we we grew up with that environment and that culture that mafia kind of um culture um until my sister somewhat aged out of the system. And even though they adopted us right before she did that to seal our records, <laughs> right um, they kicked her out after that, and then I married shortly after that and left the home. so we stayed there till till you know we were eighteen, nineteen,
0: Wow, yeah, wow. so talk to me a little bit about. You know, I want to touch on, you know, what it was really like to meet your sisters after so long.
1: Oh, (laughs) I first have to preface it with, I never forgot them. And I searched from them from the time I could read my letters and find my given birth name, which was Lane, in a phone book, and dial the rotary phone to try to dial any Lane I could find in the book in the hopes that someone would pick up and be one of my sisters. Of course, that that never happened. We were women. We were married. I I I didn't know married names, but that's what I tried. Um, I searched for them uh, in earnest any way I could as a child, uh, looking for my birth certificate and records that I knew my foster family kept, but never could find anything once I left the home, I hired a detective. This was before the day of the internet. If you can imagine, yeah. there was a time before uh-huh. there was. So, you know, I couldn't I go know. on Ancestry.com. There wasn't any DNA test to order or link you. Right. But there were other registries you could get on. I did that. Nothing ever um, worked. Okay. And one day, um, 43 years later, um, we I just had this wild premonition that they were going to find me and that they were going to find me like in three days. And they did. They absolutely did. Wow. And so <laughs> when, when I first saw my sisters, there were a few older sisters standing in the driveway of the home where we were all going to meet the very next day. Um, I literally... Got out of the car before it stopped and flew myself, just dropped myself into their arms, and they caught me, and you know, we sobbed. What else can I say and And they checked my nose, my fingers, my ears, like this is really you, Barbie Sue, they call me Barbie Sue,, Aww. and not my sister Kay that I grew up with, oh holy cow, these are the lost babies, cause some of the sisters knew kind of where each other what was or where they were, but they're kind of scattered in the wind, you know, and, okay. and didn't reunite all together until um, that time. So what does that feel like? How do you put words? As a writer, I'm supposed to be able to put words on things. And I will tell you, it's, it, I'm still speechless when I talk of it. Yeah. I you know how you put words on something that you longed for your entire life And then it finally actually happened. And it's surreal. You don't think, you know, you have to pinch yourself (laughs) to comprehend that it actually happened. And, you know, the same love and nurturing I remembered before I was three was still there um, and and just surrounded Kay and I. It it was just a beautiful, beautiful event. That's amazing. So, with your
0: premonition, if you will, mm-hmm. um, how did your sisters end up coming to you? What from their side of it? What? How okay. did they find you?
1: Sure, um, my one of my eldest sisters, Ellen, had kind of a similar experience. Um, she was trying to gather as many sisters as she could where she knew kind of where they were or could figure out where they were and do a reunion. And she just started sobbing with feelings for Kay and I that she didn't know how to find us, but a feeling that she would. Wow. And her son was there with his best friend. His best friend said, You're breaking my heart, Ellen, why are you crying? And she told him the story. And she had framed a photo that was put in the St. Louis Post dispatch, I believe. Um, where Kay and I were pictured with our foster parents um, in an attempt to promote loving foster homes. Imagine, right? So does that tell you the depth of secrecy that that we lived in and the pretense that uh, was put up? But anyway, she showed in that article and it had the last name of my foster parents. He took that article and went to St. Louis. He says, if this is true or not, I will never know, that he bribed a clerk, somehow got into our records, and found the phone number of my sister Kay and came back with it to Ellen, who called Kay, who didn't know what to do with it because she had pretty much uh, amnesia of our childhood. Her brain is kind of blocked all of our traumas Mm -hmm. she called me because we were still close she called me we were at the beach and she says I don't know what to do with this actually she called my husband and he said give me the numbers (laughs) and called me in from the beach I called them and that's how it all occurred so Ellen had a similar premonition Um, mine was just a knowingness I, I don't know what you would call it I just knew they were going to find me. I think we remained so close, even with all that separation, that we could feel each other in a way. Yeah. And I just knew they were going to find me. So that's, did. that's amazing. That's beautiful, right? <laughs> so did all
0: of your sisters have a hard time in foster care like you and Kay did? Or are everyone's stories different? unique and remarkable in their own way
1: both are true okay. um th- i was dismayed beyond words to find out that of 11 sisters 11 not one of us um were spared from um the occurrence of sexual abuse not one of us so you know that i already had a passion for child welfare and i mean that just spurred me on even more i'm um, sure to to raise awareness surrounding these issues. Um, two of my sisters were already married and out of the home when our family fell apart. Um, and back then, women didn't drive. Right. They didn't have a car. They didn't know what was going on in my family of origin. And they didn't know our mother had abandoned us. Um, and she had left us in this cold apartment for in, in the winter in St. Louis without any heat or water or anything uh, for three days before a neighbor figured out we were there and we were taken by Catholic Charities at the time. So they didn't know. One sister ran away and skipped Catholic Charities altogether. And so she was just literally out on the streets on her own at the age of, I don't know, 14. So, you know, the rest of us went into the orphanage where I was telling you before I felt okay because I was with my sisters.
0: Right, right. And you were very young. I mean, three is very young. Yes. Um, So why did you and your sisters choose to tell your story?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: As the weather gets warmer, I am more and more grateful for all the Skinny Teas tanks and camis I have in my closet. They are soft, comfortable, and go with everything. There is every color imaginable available, including a wide variety of skin tones. For 30% off your order, go to www.skinnyteas.com and use my code TTH30. That's skinnytees.com. Code TTH thirty.
1: I think the fact that um, we experience child abuse, we know the the detrimental effects of secrecy surrounding it, and we know that awareness is one of the best preventative measures one can take uh, to to help kids that are in. Uh, dire circumstances, or to shed light on its occurrence. Too many people like to see only the best, um, and you know, put their head in the sand regarding the horrors of right. child maltreatment. I understand it's hard to look at. We don't want to think these cute, sweet little kids are going through what they're going through, and we all agreed that our stories would do that. It would raise awareness. Mm -hmm. And empower perhaps younger women who have experienced this and and, in the hopes that we had and then in the determination that you can overcome this, you know, and you are not the trauma that happened to you. And as is, um, uh, I think, highlighted on your podcast beautifully, it can be transformative. Yeah. It can transform you into something better than you might have been before, so all of those reasons were yeah. we decided jointly um uh, to to do this book,
0: okay. So everybody was comfortable with doing it. I mean, you said it took fifteen years, so I'm mm-hmm. sure there were instances where mm-hmm. it was really frightening to tell the story.
1: It was horrific. Um, and you know, I always said, you don't have to we can stop this here. You know, I, I, I had no attachment to it. Um, okay. I knew I could raise awareness other ways. It was in my field already. I was working with victims of child abuse. So, you know, I, I was already in the field, but if one sister had said, I just can't do this, we were going to drop the whole thing. But every okay. sister, um, in their own timing like i have one sister my sister annie who knew the most i believe about our stories because you know i, was, I knew nothing right? right i knew nothing of our history who was our family where they cut co- where do we come from and what happened i knew nothing so um the sisters telling me their stories helped me piece together my history yeah so I have one sister annie who said i will not tell you my story while my husband's alive because there's things I never told him so okay well you know that's fine we don't need to do that well during the course of events her husband passed away Mm -hmm. and she called me and she was a, a I don't know, a character. Every other word was the damn word. So I'm just going to use it. She said, Barbie Sue, you're coming out here and getting my damn story. I'm not going to be the only one left out of the damn book. I'll have the best damn story. Damn, 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 damn. So (laughs) So (laughs) I went to to her and spent a week to gather her story. And she did have most of the missing pieces. And I want to tell you, this is how this entire book progressed. I visited with sisters in the order of their death. 10 days after I visited with Annie, she died of a heart attack. I mean, it was all in their timing, not mine. You know, it was there when they were ready. And I mean, and this occurred a few times. So I'm very, very grateful that I had the opportunity to be with them one-on-one and we did healing together. And I. Their stories, and you know, they made me promise I would I would do this, um, not alter their stories in any way, uh, do it to the best of their memories and the best of mine. So that's what I did.
0: That's remarkable. Um, how interesting. I, I you know, I wonder if you know Annie as an example mm-hmm. had had to get it out. Yes. Before she could go, you know, like,
1: you know, what a beautiful thought. And I think you might be right. Because once we finished the writing of her story, she got up and did the funky chicken. She said, I have never felt so Good <laughs> So you know, I got up and tried to do the funky chicken with her, although her funky chicken cannot be beat. <laughs> so, yes, there was a lot of uh relief uh with with many of them,
0: yeah, yeah, so you know at, as we have said before, um trauma can be transformational. um yeah. i I my own book is called trauma as a catalyst. My oh, my belief is that trauma can provoke significant change. Yes. How has that been true for you personally as well as your sisters? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I always like to say, I'm a work in progress. Yeah <laughs> I'm not finished. No I, one is <laughs> I look back and think, "Oh my gosh, have I ever changed?" thanks to some amazing therapists that entered my life Mm -hmm. and a mentor that I worked under for 20 some odd years, um, transformed me and healed many of those traumatic parts, which I, you know, if you're a child of trauma, you often don't have much faith in yourself, you know, that inner wisdom or trusting your gut you kind of lose connection with that so whatever anyone tells you you are if you're not smart you believe it if you're not attractive you believe it if you're not worth anything you believe it if you're told that often enough right but through healing the trauma working on the trauma i recognize that all of those were lies Mm -hmm. and that's the joyous part when you get to reconnect with the truth of who you really are Mm -hmm. and it's just like such a high it's like holy cow i'm okay i'm not only okay i'm pretty dynamic and so you know that transformation affects every part of your life everything you do right yeah Uh, the way you meet people the way you hold yourself the way you speak everything so um it's it's pretty powerful
0: yeah i would imagine so do you feel like finding your sisters and reconnecting with mm-hmm. them was the first step to that healing or did you start healing yourself long before then
1: well when i was in my 30s i believe um i could recognize in myself behaviors that i knew that 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 that's you know over the top like um ocd about keeping the house clean mm-hmm. things like that but for some reason i knew you know i've got to deal with this 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 cannot be good so um i the first therapist I went to was a psychiatrist and he sat behind his desk and he had his glasses down on his nose. And, you know, he says the same question, he probably asked everyone who walked into his office, tell me about your childhood. Right. And right. So, I don't know where I got the um, courage to say to him, I was sexually abused by my foster father, uh, physically and sexually. And he just kept looking over his glasses with that distance, you know, from the desk and me and that coldness and said, well, you just have to go tell him you don't want him in your life anymore. Well, Carrie, I was nowhere near being able to confront that kind of evil. No. You know, so I ran out of there and never went back. <laughs> so, smart. That was yeah. smart. So I found this therapist. um by way of a physician who gave me a prescription because I had a migraine, but all the prescription was the name of this therapist. <laughs> so I went to her, um, her name was Donna Kitchen, and um, she sat in a chair next to me. She looked into my eyes and reflected back to me the truth of who I was rather than anything she said or did I caught a glimpse of my true self in her eyes. Does that make sense?
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Yeah. And and amazing that you actually tried therapy again after that initial. I mean, seriously.
1: That's I you know, I knew that worrying about a cup in the sink all night was not good. Right. Right. I knew, you know, that having to have the seam in my shirt exactly right was not good. Yeah. So um I knew I needed to do that and how I knew just, I don't know you know we were raised like that no cup in the sink no creases have to be just so but I don't know I think and I don't can never prove this Carrie but I just think that connection I had with my sister so long ago and that love and nurturance I knew there was another way yeah I remembered it and yeah. I wanted it wow. back. So I started healing my own abuse and childhood trauma first. Okay. So that I could, you know, and it worked really well, except when a therapist would say to me or my mentor, his name was David and we could talk about the kind of treatment that heals trauma today or another day, if you like, um, tried to help me heal the loss of my sisters. And I told him, go jump off into a lake. Because I knew if I healed it and I knew he could heal it, I wouldn't need to search for them anymore. And I wasn't wanting to give that up.
0: And you didn't want to, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you didn't yeah. want to let go of that nope. hope. Right. That or you, that feeling that of connection. You had with family them. out right. there, right. even though you weren't with them. Right. right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that means so. Let's talk about that a little bit about how you healed your trauma and how your mentor helped you with that.
1: Okay. So I worked for years on myself with a gentleman by the name of David Grove, who was from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I say past tense because he passed away, Um, but he came up with this um, theory of um, epistemological metaphor, the origins of your trauma Leave as a child a metaphorical kind of image within your body, you know, similar to the book Your Body Remembers, Mm -hmm. um, but dissimilar in many, many ways. And he had a very soft, hypnotic voice, and he would start asking non-invasive questions while you were relaxing um, about what would you like to have happen and I would say, you know, I just don't want to feel so sad all the time. He would say, "How do you know you feel sad? Whereabouts?" And I would be able to locate a place in my body where I held that sadness. Mm-hmm. This is just a really brief explanation of a very complex theory. But anyway, he he would go on to say, "And what would sadness like to do?" Uh, or first of all, what is that sadness like? And then you, you just you just kind of tend to make a metaphor out of it. It's like a top that won't stop spinning. You've got that in there. As a kid, we see things in toys and clouds, and right? So I had this top spinning in my tummy, metaphorically. The next question would be, what would that top like to do? Well, as a child, I'd like to take that top and hit my foster father over the head with it. I couldn't. Right. But now you could see what happened in this shift. I externalized that feeling right there. I no longer had that.
0: It wasn't inside of you. It was now outside
1: anymore. Right. And, you know, that's just a very short synopsis of how this theory works. Um, And it worked wonders on me, just wonders. So then I trained with him for many years. Mm -hmm. Then we traveled giving workshops on this to uh, different psychiatrists, therapists, healing centers uh, around the country before he passed away, when I just kind of had to go cl- climb in a hole somewhere and, <laughs> and yeah. spend a little time, you know, with my own grief at that loss. Sure, sure. But, I'm sure uh, that was
0: that yeah. was a, a really tough loss because it was. he helped you not only heal from your childhood wounds mm-hmm. and also he influenced your professional life.
1: Yes, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to help heal broken hearts and souls, like he was doing. And I wanted to be like my therapist Donna, who met me where I was, rather than telling me what to do. Yeah, you know, and then walked my path with me. I think those are all incredibly important elements of healing the the traumatic heart and soul. It, it, you're traumatized. You know, someone is brave enough to extend themselves to you um, and walk that path with you is, is is phenomenal in the healing process.
0: Absolutely. And so talk to us a little bit more about your professional experience. Um, mm-hmm. How did your journey lead you mm-hmm. to your professional career?
1: So, you know, what I had just said is, is I wanted to be like my therapist. I wanted to be like my mentor. Mm -hmm. I experienced firsthand the transformation that this type of healing had in me was Mm -hmm. no longer shy. I got my education. I, you know, just everything about me shifted in positive and wonderful ways. And I want other people i wanted other people to have that same opportunity to heal from just evil and terrible horrors so you know i I got my undergrad i got my master's and i was going to go on for my doctorate and we had an illness in the family so i had to postpone that a little bit but in the interim um my therapist who was very spiritual Mm-hmm. not in any one religion or belief or anything, just just that light spirit, you know, that you come mm-hmm. across sometimes, uh, asked me, why didn't I look into something along those lines? So I joined a ministerial counselors program, it was a two-year program, but I, I could do a lot of it from home because I had an ill child at the time. Mm-hmm. And I learned from that, oh, that's where that comes from, where she looked me in the eye and saw me who I was. Right. Yes, I was. And so I pursued that. Now here's what occurred. This is a non-religious, non-affiliated kind of position, ministering meaning um helping. That's right. Basically it. So, you know, what I was able to do in that capacity, though, Carrie, was work within the family. And that's kind of out of the system. By that, I mean, you know, if you're a licensed psychologist or uh, you you really are, you know, have some boundaries you have to maintain. um, And they're good boundaries. Um, But as a minister, I go have dinner with them. You know, I would bury grandma or perform marriages or what have you. I knew the whole family system and I could work with the professionals in the area who would often refer them to me and say, can you help me with this? You know, it, it was similar. I worked as a child advocate as well. It's similar to that in some ways because you're outside of the system. You're not limited by the rules that these social workers are and counselors and everything for example, I could go visit one of my CASA childs at three in the morning if I thought it important. And right. I'd go with my police friend and he'd knock on the door and they would have to let me in. And I knew everything that was going on right then and there. You right. could tell the judge, you're out of the system. And I thought, boy, that's really effective. And I was super effective in my career. I had turned people away, which was sad.
0: That is, That does feel sad. You know, mm-hmm. like... How amazing that you have been able to impact so many children, right? And also, there is that little tinge of grief for not being able to impact all of them. Um, Because as you know, firsthand, no one deserves to be put through what you and your sisters were put through.
1: No, no child deserves uh, to be mistreated. Um, sadly the numbers are staggering they really but, are um do they deserve it even with the worst behavior they don't deserve it no yeah so
0: how do you feel actually let me ask this question what does resilience mean to you
1: mm-hmm resilience is a connection with your inner source your inner self whatever that is for you that inner source of knowingness that knowledge that we're all born with that that gut feeling we're born with that and trauma separates us from that but if you're you can have a way either therapy however you to reconnect with that inner source that's the source of resilience.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what about hope? What mm. does what role does hope play in healing from trauma?
1: I think you cannot have hope unless you're connected to your inner self. That is a faith, not a religious faith, but a faith in knowing you have everything inside of you that it takes. If you know you have everything inside of you that it takes, you would feel very hopeful about yeah. your future prospects.
0: That's that's really interesting because um, I had that. So um, my story is that I was in a really terrible car accident and oh. a traumatic brain injury and a lot mm-hmm. of trauma associated with that. And it never occurred to me even with the terrible prognosis that I had and the 10-hour brain aneurysm surgery that I had, oh my it never once occurred to me that I wasn't going to be okay. There you go. I knew that everything was going to be fine. And, and so that makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I think my hope, actually carried my family and allowed them to hope
1: i'm sure i'm sure because you know it's a it's a oneness thing Hmm. yeah yeah well i'm sorry you went through that but look where you are right absolutely and and honestly and i and
0: you know you may feel the same way about this um i wouldn't there's nothing great about what happened, right? Like that was very, very hard. And it took a lot of work to get through it and to be where I am now, but I also wouldn't give it back. Stay with us.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Hi, everyone. Carrie here. Thanks so much for listening today. As many of you know, my new book, Trauma is a Catalyst, is available now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. I'd love it if you would do me a favor. Buy a copy of my book, and if my story at all provides you with a spark of hope or a sense of connection, buy another copy and give it to someone who you think would benefit. Ask them to do the same. My goal is to positively impact a million or more people. You can help me do that. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of this great conversation.
1: I'm the same, you know, is, can you ever condone trauma in any form, what you went through, what I went through, Mm -hmm. what my sisters went through? Can you ever condone the amount of work it takes to heal from that? And you say, oh, well, just work hard and you'll get over it." it. Doesn't even resonate with me. But I don't think if that had it, if I hadn't had that experience, I'm pretty confident I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today and I wouldn't reap the joys of the work that I've done. And I think if I hear you right, you've had the exact same experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I find, I mean, through this podcast and through my own book, it is joyful to be able to share and connect with people who have also struggled. It is healing for me to speak with with you right it is and hopefully it is healing for you to speak with me right and it is healing for others to hear this conversation
1: of course course. and it's reciprocal yeah that's a beautiful thing
0: yeah it really is and and if we hadn't had our experiences, we wouldn't be having this conversation.
1: And I wouldn't have met you, and I'd be really I sad know, about that, I right?
0: <laughs> Yes, it would be terribly disappointing if we had if we hadn't met each other. Absolutely, um, you know, because I think you are a testament that you can bring, you can find joy despite your circumstances, despite any challenge that you've had, because, you know, I mean, it, there's no excuse for child abuse. Um, there is no, it, it is, it's just, as you said before, evil.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but to hear you and know that you are, Feel joyful
1: oh yeah
0: <laughs> gives others hope right, right. it right. allows them to think oh okay yeah. maybe I can actually get through maybe I don't have to sit here and not know what to do
1: right right, right. and so, to you know to reach out for help and if if the first person you find was like the psychiatrist i sat in front of um don't put all your eggs in one basket with that gal or guy um you know find the they're out there there's incredible uh therapists and help out there for this kind of trauma and you're kind i'm sure you know doctors and physicians and you know you don't quit you you can i just like to say trauma doesn't have to only be child abuse right trauma happens with any kind of a loss yep you lose your health or you lose your family or you lose your innocence loss is you know the basis of uh, carrying that trauma inside of you
0: yeah yeah and it can impact everything and it can impact everything in A positive way if you heal it heal that trauma or it can impact everything in a negative way if you continue to hold on to it
1: right right
0: so so this is something interesting because you you said you know to keep at it find the resources there are so many resources out there and I will absolutely agree with you that there are so many resources out there and I know from my own experience, and you probably know this too, from your experience, if you don't know where to find those resources or don't know they exist, it kind of puts you behind the eight ball, if you will.
1: It sure does.
0: And I think that that, I think having these kinds of conversations and Destigmatizing trauma mm-hmm. allows people to realize that there are things out there. It's just that nobody talks about that.
1: That's right. And so we're talking about it today. Yeah. And we're sharing on your podcast. Thank you so much. This important message. And you know, what works for one isn't the answer for another. Right. There's there's no one right way to heal trauma. And I'm going to carry on what you think, but I don't think there's anyone walking the face of the earth that hasn't experienced some level of trauma. Maybe their background and histories was such that uh, to them it's a minor thing and they right. work their own way through it. God bless them. That's great. But trauma is such a common thing. Really? That isn't it. Sad that we can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think
0: we lose so much as a culture, as a society, yeah. Yeah. by not talking about it because we are creating this thing that this is bad. What you experienced was bad, you must be bad because it you you had that experience. Like that is the message, even yes. if that is the unintentional message, that is still the message. It is the so message. people are afraid to say, I had this thing happen to me and I don't know what to do. Can you help me?
1: Right. So someone has to know it's okay to ask for help. Right. And what you were just expressing in my mind makes so much sense because we are born with an innate need to belong, right? Mm-hmm. And so if society is reflecting back to us from little on up, let's just start an in infancy that you're unworthy or you know it's a rejecting kind of cold view back that we get from society, we're going to identify with that. Mm -hmm. I'm bad. I'm this. So if trauma is taken in that same light, reflect it back to you. Oh, if you have trauma, you're, you know, broken for the rest of your life. You can't talk about it. It's a big secret, right? Then that child or even that young person or at my age even risks the ability of identifying with that as that's who they are and then they don't know who to go to for help because they identify with what was reflected back to them and and everything else is in the darkness
0: yeah yeah and that's such a disservice and Uh that has such great greater implications for society as a whole right um you one person feeling like they can't talk or about something that happened or ask for something mm-hmm. impacts the next person that impacts the next person. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know you've done a lot of work with generational trauma, yeah, um and and that's we're basically a society that is traumatized and not talking about our trauma. So yeah. we're also isolated.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think it's sad, but but true that a lot of individuals walking around with trauma aren't even aware they're walking around with trauma. It's been discounted so much that they don't even know that they're carrying the remnants of trauma in their brain, in their body, and they just think this is a normal life. So why would they ask for any kind of help? Now, I will suggest Uh, In my own experience in my career, much as my therapist looked into my eyes with very few words and caught a glimpse of who I really was, other than the trauma, other than everything else that was going on, uh, was so healing that when I worked with families within the family, and you knew daddy was traumatized in the war terribly. And, you know, he didn't really understand how it was panning out in the family structure. But if I could catch a glimpse in his eye and share with him what I saw, without words, he would either break down and cry and figure out, oh, my gosh, I've got some work to do. You know, but to see who someone really is unconditionally outside of the trauma. Like you're still who you are, um, maybe even more so transformative as you say, but who you are as your core was was enhanced by how you handled your trauma, not the trauma itself, but how you dealt with it, right? Right, right. So, you know, if I can get a chance to reflect that back in someone's eyes that was traumatized, it says... It says more than any words could say. And then you can talk about it or, you know, the therapist can come in or what have you. Sure. But uh, it we become the reflect. It's like we're looking in a mirror. It's broken. And we don't know it's broken. And what we see back is so distorted that we believe it. Mm-hmm. So. We need a new mirror. And if we can all be those new mirrors for individuals who are traumatized by reflecting back to them what we really see rather than how broken they are from trauma. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I I think the that it would make such a difference Mm -hmm. to so many people. And I think you and I are chipping away at that. Um, You know, by telling our stories and by talking with one another and sharing other people's stories, I think this allows people to realize there may be a different reflection.
1: They might realize they need to find a new mirror, leave Mm -hmm. that relationship, or, you know, put a boundary between a relative that keeps bringing you down you know you need a new mirror and and in that you can see who you really are yeah
0: yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> this has been absolutely amazing thank you Barbara
1: oh thank you Carrie I just been honored to be here I just really grateful for what you're doing
0: oh, it takes a I, lot of time I know <laughs> it, it does but you know what it doesn't feel like it, it oh, This Mm -hmm. is one of those joyful things that I get to do.
1: That's beautiful. You're in your flow.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, Broken Water can be found on Amazon or anywhere fine books are sold. Please do yourself a favor and purchase this book today. (laughs) Thank you so much, Barbara. I really enjoyed having you on today.
1: Thank you, Carrie. It's been my honor.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Transformational Trauma and Healing. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks so much. See you soon.